Our scripture reading this morning will be from Exodus chapter 1. If you'd like to open up your Bibles and read along with me. Exodus chapter 1. Uh, this comes from page 45 of our red Bibles in the pew. Exodus chapter 1 beginning in verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for the pharaohs store cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and brick, and in all kinds of work in the field. And in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Good morning. It's a blessing to be together as God's people this morning. Before I start the lesson, I have some things to talk to you about. Thing number one, life has really changed in the last seven days for all of us, hasn't it? Jesus gave us some prime directives, kind of like the old Star Trek series. They had the prime directive, the, the one thing that you don't violate. Jesus gave us two. The first is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second prime directive is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is an extreme variance of opinions about the things that are going on in our society, about whether it's substantive or not, about whether or not there's a real threat to us or not. Some people say this is all a joke, this is ridiculous, and some people are living in terrible fear. We need to love our neighbor as ourselves. Let's not belittle and mock and ridicule anybody because they're concerned about their health. Not only that, but as the people of God, we have an obligation to our neighbors to be sensitive to what's going on in the world around us. What our government authorities are telling us is this. It's pretty much inevitable that a lot of people are going to get sick. And all the government is trying to do is slow down the rate at which people are getting sick so that our healthcare systems are not overwhelmed. As the people of God who worship here in Katy, one of the decisions our elders have made is to make the recommendations they've made so that hopefully we can assist in that. Let's see if we can slow down the rate at which people are becoming ill. Thing number two, there are a lot of people on live stream with us this morning. We're thankful that you've joined us. While you're out at the stores buying toilet paper, here's a thought. Nobody knows how long this kind of thing is going to go on. Nobody knows how long we're going to be confined to our homes and things like that. Why don't you buy some grape juice? Why don't you buy some unleavened bread while you're out there? It would make a lot of sense under the event that maybe you're not able to assemble. 
Maybe you yourself become sick. Go ahead and make preparations with your family. How can we worship together and what kinds of supplies do we need? In order to conduct New Testament worship, what you need? Grape juice, unleavened bread, your Bible, and a heart that you bring to God, bringing sacrifices and offerings to Him. Why not do that? Those are the two things that I wanted to mention this morning. I'm thankful for our elders. I sat in a meeting with them yesterday. I'll tell you, things have been all over the map for the last seven days. All kinds of emails, all kinds of thoughts, all kinds of, of decisions have had to be made, and there are a lot of decisions yet to be made, and we don't know what's going to happen in the next seven days, the next 14 days. But I do know this. I know that we need to think about God. We need to think about His will. I was supposed to preach a lesson this morning about deacons because our elders were preparing to begin a process with the congregation here about appointing some additional deacons. We've had to postpone that because of the things that are going on. And so on Friday I found out that I needed to talk about something different this morning. And I sat down and I prayerfully thought for a little while about what to say. What, what do you preach in a time like this when we're in uncharted waters and things are different than we ever anticipated they would be? So I looked in my archives and I decided to preach a lesson that I preached a few years ago here. At least a similar lesson to the one I preached a few years ago. And so if some of this sounds familiar this morning, it should be. But you need to hear it again. And so do I. I want to talk this morning about cliffhangers. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. When I was a kid, I grew up near Dallas, and the only amusement park nearby was Six Flags Over Texas in Arlington. I spent many a summer trip there with high school events, with family, and if you're familiar with Six Flags Over Texas, they used to have a ride in the 80s and early 90s that was called the Texas Cliffhanger. That's a picture of it on the screen behind me. The purpose of the Texas Cliffhanger was basically to drop you about 10 stories. That was why you got on the ride in the first place. And if you ever rode the Texas Cliffhanger, it's not there anymore, it's been torn down. But if you ever rode that ride, the way it would work is you would get into this compartment that was like an elevator, everybody facing the same direction. You'd, you'd go up that elevator inside, it looked kind of like an oil derrick. And then the compartment that you were in, the cart that you were in, would go out on the edge of the, of the ride. And you could see all of Six Flags, a whole lot of Arlington. And that cart would just hang there for about five seconds. And the thing about that ride that was maybe even more thrilling than dropping 10 stories was the anticipation. That five seconds felt like an eternity. And even though you knew what was going to happen, you, you still, your, your adrenaline was flowing and it was exciting. And even though you knew what was going to happen when it actually happened, when the cart dropped, it was a surprise. You know, cliffhangers are fun when we know what the risks are and we know what's going to happen and we know that if all things go well that we're safely going to arrive down at the bottom and we're going to go to live to fight another day to, to work and, and, and ride other rides. Cliffhangers are fun when that's the case. But cliffhangers are not so much fun when we're the ones hanging from the cliff. 
They're not so much fun when we're the ones who don't see any way out of our troubles. They're not so much fun when we don't know what the news is going to tell us in the next hour or the next week or the next month. Life has a way of taking us by surprise. We face sudden loss, unexpected challenges, problems that seem and maybe are insurmountable, troubles that we didn't see coming. Seven days ago, how many of us could have really predicted where we'd be today? And how many of us can really predict where we're going to be seven days from now? And the question that ought to come to our minds and does is this, how in the world am I going to get out of this mess? How in the world is the world going to go back to quote-unquote normal, whatever that is? Those are questions that fill our minds. Where's the money going to come from to manage these problems? Where's the money going to come from to manage the problems in my life and the things that I anticipate might happen? Cliffhangers are a lot of fun when they're a ride in an amusement park, but they're not so much fun when we're living them, are they? Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 1 if you haven't already done so. The reason I'm preaching on Exodus chapter 1 this morning is because it ends with a cliffhanger. In Exodus chapter 1, verse 22, the Bible says, So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. Pharaoh, the most powerful man in Egypt, tells all his people that they are to murder the Hebrew babies that are born. Boys, baby boys. And think about what he's doing. Throw the babies in the river. That's really efficient if you're Pharaoh. You throw the baby in the river and just to be practical about it, you don't have to listen to their cries. There's no body to bury. The river would sweep them away. This was just cold, heartless cruelty. And Exodus chapter 1 ends on that note. That's the end of the chapter. After all that you read in those first 21 verses, there's the cliffhanger. And the question that the Hebrews would be asking and the question you're supposed to ask when you get to verse 22 is, how in the world are the Israelites going to get out of this mess? Every Hebrew father and mother lived in terror. They have a new baby boy. When are the Egyptians going to come for our baby? We're slaves after all. What can we do? It's not like we can rise up and protest or vote the offenders out of office. We're slaves. We don't have any power. Brethren, the Bible teaches that we need to speak words of faith when we're afraid. The Bible teaches that we need to look to God when we're afraid. I'm reminded of Psalm 56 verse 3 where the psalmist said, Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. And then Psalm 56 verse 11 says, same Psalm, Psalm 56 verse 3 verse 11. In verse 11 it says, in God I have put my trust, I will not be afraid. When we think about putting our trust in God, we tend to only struggle, focus on the struggles of the present and the struggles of the future. Now think about that for just a minute. When we're talking about putting trust in God, I want to trust in Him and I want to live for Him, we only tend to think about what's going on right now and what might happen down the road. That's how we think about trust. But I want you to know that the Bible teaches that trust is not just about the present and the future, it is about the past as well. 
It's about what God has done and not just what he is doing and will do. And so if you feel like you're living on a cliffhanger, you feel like you're on the edge of a cliff, I don't know what's going to happen next. I'm living in suspense. I don't know what shoe is going to drop. If you feel that way, Exodus chapter 1 gives us three places to hold on. Three principles to hold on to when we feel like life is out of control and we don't know what's going to happen next. Here they are as you look at Exodus chapter 1, just going right through the chapter. Notice verses 1 through 6, first of all. Principle number one that you and I can hang on to is this. Brethren, God is concerned about his people. God is concerned about his people. What's interesting about Exodus, here's this book that deals with the deliverance of God's people from slavery and it deals with the giving of the law and it deals with the great commands given to the people in the wilderness about how they're to build the tabernacle and how they're to worship God. All these magnificent, marvelous truths are being communicated in Exodus, but the book begins with a list of names. Look at Exodus 1 verse 1. Now these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man and his household came with Jacob. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All those who were descendants of Jacob, there were 70 persons, for Joseph was in Egypt already. The book begins not with a grand sweeping statement about what God is doing in the world. It begins with just a list of 14 names of individuals. And one of the principles that I believe we're supposed to derive from that is the fact that even though our God is mighty and magnificent and has a grand plan, and I guarantee you, even though some of the things that have happened this week have taken us by surprise, nothing takes God by surprise. He is mighty, he is magnificent, and he is all-knowing. And yet, even though he is concerned with the affairs of this world and how the nations interact and things like that, God knows your name. He knows my name. The very hairs of our heads, Jesus said, are all numbered. God knows intimately what our hearts are like, what our concerns are all about. He knows our names. And I believe that's the reason why the book of Exodus begins with names, because even though this is about the deliverance of a nation, God wants us to know that those are real people. And God cared about them. And he loved them through all their trials and tribulations. He knew what was happening to them. These are the names. No matter what challenge faces us in the days and the months to come, God has not forgotten your name. Jesus promises in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The people of God need to trust in that principle. As you read on in Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, God further shows his concern about his people by blessing us even when we don't see what he's doing. Even when you don't know what God is up to, even when you don't see how he might be blessing. It's amazing as you read through this chapter, look at verse 7. The children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty. The land was filled with them. Question, who's responsible for that? 
God is working even when people can't see. Look at verse 12 of Exodus 1. The more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread, the the Egyptians were, of the children of Israel. Who's responsible for that? God. He's blessing his people. Look at verse 20 of Exodus chapter 1. The people multiplied and grew very mighty, the Bible says. The principle that you and I need to hold on to is that God keeps right on blessing even when we can't see and we don't know and maybe we don't appreciate and maybe we don't acknowledge what he's doing. God's concerned about his people. Never forget the unfailing love of God no matter what happens and no matter what you see on the news. Principle number two, hanging on when you're living in a cliffhanger. God's word is relevant to our circumstances. His word is relevant. It is a living word, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It is relevant to every situation of life, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. God's word is relevant to my circumstances and yours too. We need to open up our Bibles and open up our minds, especially in times like these. And the reason we need to open our Bibles and our minds is because God has already said so much that we need to listen to. He's already said so many things that we need to acknowledge and embrace. Notice as you look at verses 8 through 14. Pharaoh starts looking at the success of God's people and he is afraid. And what he's afraid of is that God's people will succeed. So his solution, verses 11 through 14, is let's oppress these people. I'm afraid that they're going to become mighty. They're going to become stronger than us. We're going to need to oppress them. And just as things seem to be going off the rails with the Israelites, they get a lot worse. In verse 11, Pharaoh set taskmasters over them, and then they afflicted them in verse 12. And they made them serve with rigor, it says in verse 13. They made their lives bitter with hard bondage, it says in verse 14. And the Israelites, maybe they're asking the question, What did we ever do to deserve this? Have we made God angry that all this is happening to us? Is there something that he's doing that maybe we've just missed and we need to repent? God's word is relevant to my circumstances. You know, God promised the father of the Israelites, Abraham, way back in Genesis chapter 12, centuries earlier. God said, Abraham... I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. That was a promise. It was an unfailing promise. God promised to bless Abraham and his descendants and bless those who blessed them. God promised to curse those who cursed Abraham and his descendants. The promise still applied. And that might have even made things more confusing for the Israelites because after all, if God promised Abraham our father that he was going to curse those who curse us, where is he when Pharaoh is oppressing us and setting taskmasters over us and making things really difficult for us? Where is God? Why isn't he showing up? And why isn't he delivering us from this bondage? There are other passages though that the Israelites should have thought about. Go back if you would, or other, other things that God had said. Go back if you would in your Bibles to Exodus, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 15. And look at verses 13 and 14. Genesis chapter 15. 
Yes, God promised Abraham that he was going to bless those who blessed him and curse those who cursed him. That promise applied to Abraham and to his descendants. But when you look at Genesis chapter 15, verse 13, God says on another occasion to Abram, Abram, I want you to know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. And they will serve them. And they will afflict them 400 years, God says. And also the nation whom they serve, watch this in verse 14, God says, I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions. What's God doing? He is prophesying. He's telling the future to Abraham about what Abraham's descendants are going to endure. And the Israelites need to take note. Because just as Genesis chapter 12 related to what the Israelites were going through, Genesis chapter 15 related as well, didn't it? God had spoken to their circumstances. God had set a limit on the number of years that they were going to be oppressed. He said 400 years, four centuries, that's it. They can't have five centuries. They can't have a millennium. They get 400 years of oppression. That's all. God set a limit. And not only that, but when you look at verse 14, God promised to judge those oppressors, didn't he? He promised to deliver his people, and he said when they come out, they're going to be wealthy because they're going to have possessions from those who had oppressed them. And that's exactly what happened when the exodus took place. Brothers and sisters and friends, when we talk about hope, when we talk about optimism, hope and optimism for the child of God means that we invest our lives in this book. We read what it teaches and we allow what God has said to be our guide even when life doesn't make sense. Even when we don't understand why the things are in our lives the way they are. God has spoken to the very cliffhangers that we face in our lives. You think about what Jesus said to his disciples. He warned them that life was not always going to be easy. He said, for example, in John chapter 16, verse 33, In the world you will have much tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Living by faith means that we put our trust and our hope in what God has spoken. His word is relevant. And so my challenge to you is this. Don't let hand-wringing and don't let distress and don't let despair keep you out of God's word. Don't let the things that you're concerned about keep you away from what God's word teaches. Go to God's word. Look for his thoughts. Listen to his heart. And I guarantee you'll find a place to hold on. Number three, what can I learn from Exodus chapter 1, this passage about the oppression of the Israelites that ends with a cliffhanger? What can I learn so that I can hold on to God and to his will, even in confusing and uncertain times? Number three, God uses his servants mightily in times of distress. Verses 15 through 21 are fascinating. They're fascinating for a number of reasons because Pharaoh decides that he's going to murder all the baby boys in Egypt, but the way he's going to do it is he's going to appoint some executioners. And the executioners are the midwives. Their names are Pua and Shifra. You see their names there in verse 15. And, and Pharaoh says, I want you to take the life of any baby boys that are born. 
That's your job. That's your role. But the midwives refuse to do it. When you read this passage all through Exodus chapter 1, did you know that we're still not sure? Scholars are still not entirely sure which Pharaoh this is. They kind of think they know. They kind of think that maybe it's Ramses the Great or, or someone closely related to him before or after. And, and so we're not really sure which Pharaoh is doing this to the Israelites. But we do know the names of two humble women who feared God. You think about God knowing our names back in verses 1 and 2 of Exodus chapter 1. And you think about the fact that this passage calls the names of two ladies because of their faith and because of their trust in God. They are given an immoral order. If the child is a son, kill him. If Pharaoh is wealthy and he's powerful and you think about it from their perspective, Pharaoh, if they befriend him, if they do what he wants, and Pharaoh knows this is a hard assignment, they can curry a lot of favor with this powerful, influential king. But Pua and Shifra, the Bible says they feared God. It doesn't say it once, it says it twice. In verse 16 and again in verse 21, they feared the Lord. They refused to obey an immoral order, an ungodly order. And when Pharaoh calls them and wants to know why are these baby boys being spared alive, they give this reason, this excuse. In verse 19, they say, well, it's because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they're lively and they give birth before the midwives come to them. In other words, their labor is very short. And by the time we get the call that a woman is in labor and we arrive, the baby's already been born. Some people have tried to say that, you know, the, the midwives, that they are guilty of lying and that God excused their lies and things like that. The Bible doesn't say that they lied. The Bible does say they refused to take the lives of innocent baby boys. They did do that. We ought to obey God rather than men. But what if the Hebrew midwives are not lying? What if in God's providence, the labor of the Hebrew women really was shortened and those babies really were born before they got there? Or what if there was some kind of arrangement already between the midwives and the Hebrew women where they were going to wait? and not call for the midwives until it was time after the baby had been born. The point that we're supposed to take from this, Pua and Shipra knew who they were. They knew that they were servants of Almighty God. They knew exactly what they stood for. They knew exactly who they served and they were not going to compromise that for anything or anyone, not even Pharaoh. And when you and I are in a mess, when we face a challenge, and we don't know what's going to happen next, one of the things that God says to you and says to me is, do not forget who you are. Do not forget whose you are. You and I, brethren, do have some prime directives. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Whatever you do in the coming days and weeks, do not fail to honor God. Do not violate your conscience in any way, shape, or form when it comes to serving Almighty God. But prime directive number two is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
when we face difficult challenges, it's hard to think about others and it's hard to think about what it means to serve God. But I'm telling you, God in circumstances like these specializes in using his servants in ways that you could never foresee, you could never plan. You think Pua and Shipra, you think in midwifery school, you think that they decided to have a seminar on how to execute baby boys? Do you think that they learned something about what to do if the government ever told them that this is what they were supposed to do? In the moment when Pharaoh gave them the order, they already had a prime directive. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to respect human life. We're not going to compromise that for anything. People today who live by faith need to have a similar conviction, a similar faith. God dealt well with the midwives, by the way. When you look at verse 20, it says later on, he provided households for them. The tenderness of the Bible is amazing. In the midst of oppression, in the midst of slavery, in the midst of all kinds of agony that people are going through, God notices the names of these two ladies and God blesses them in the midst of their distress. And so you get to verse 22. Pharaoh has been thwarted. The midwives didn't do what he wanted. And the chapter ends with a cliffhanger. On the evening news in Egypt, the reporters came on and they said, there's a new edict, a new executive order from Pharaoh. Here it is. Every baby boy that is born to the Hebrews is to be thrown into the river. It's fast, it's efficient. We don't have to listen to their cries. We don't have to see the bodies piling up. And the chapter ends with a cliffhanger. How in the world are God's people going to get out of this mess? It seems like every situation they face is worse than the previous. How are we going to get out of this mess? Remember what I said earlier? Trusting God is about the past, the present, and the future. Let me tell you how you're going to get out of this mess by trusting in the very same God who has delivered us from every other mess. That's what living by faith is all about. That's why the Bible repeatedly in an astronomical number of passages says things like this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. When you don't know what to do, look to God. If we can help you to obey the gospel this morning, there's no better decision that you could make with your life than to repent of your sin and to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. If you know that you need the hymn and you know what the gospel teaches about what he came to do, brothers and sisters and friends, there's no better decision you could make this morning than to put on Christ. We become Christians through baptism. We become Christians through faith in Christ. We become Christians when we submissively obey his will. If we can help you to do that this morning, if we can help you by praying with you, praying for you, whatever your need, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing.